Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of Authors on the Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with author Nathan Ballingrude. Nathan was born in Massachusetts in 1970, but spent most of his life in the South. He studied literature at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and at the University of New Orleans. Among other things, Nathan has been a cook on oil rigs and barges, a waiter and a bartender in New Orleans. Nathan's first book is North American Lake Monsters, which came out from Small Beer Press. His most recent book is called Wounds, Six Stories from the Border of Hell from Saga Press. Uh, Nathan has won two Shirley Jackson Awards and has been shortlisted for the World Fantasy, British Fantasy, and Bram Stoker Awards. His novella, The Visible Filth, was made into a movie called Wounds from Annapurna Pictures. It's written and directed by Babak Anvari and stars Army Hammer, Zazie Beetz, and Dakota Johnson. It was actually released on Hulu in 2019, and currently North American Lake Monsters is being adapted into an eight-part series on Hulu. Uh, Nathan currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina, but without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Ballingrude. Hey, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, uh, like we talked a little bit off air, it was, uh, it, was, you know, it, was, it was a pleasure to meet you, obviously, back in, back in November at the Noir event with Hank and and Robert McCammon and Andy Davidson and all of them. But uh, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to be able to chat with you again here about, you know, five months later, six months later. So <laughs> yeah, the world's a different place now. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's definitely, uh, it's definitely took it, taking a turn, I guess you can say. Um, I mean, I guess kind of, kind of despite all of the turmoil that's going on, I mean, have, have you been, have you been doing pretty well, you know, here as of late? Uh, yeah, pretty well. Um, just hunkered down like everybody else. Uh, my daughter's home with me, and uh, so that's kind of nice. And uh, yeah, just keep my nose to the grindstone. You know, I'm I'm fortunate in that I was doing this already anyway. Uh, yeah. I know. So my life didn't get upended to quite the degree that a lot, most folks did. Yeah. So yeah. I'm lucky that way. I gotcha. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I know for for a lot of authors, they kind of they kind of look at it as like, well, this is kind of what I'm already doing, so we're we're kind of fine. But then you you know, look out the window or you know look on on TV and kind of see it how it's changed for everybody else, and all these kind of extroverted people are now <laughs> becoming introverts or kind of forced to become introverts. And, uh, like my, my wife is, is, is one, she, she just like every day, she's like, I've got to get out of the house for at least an hour. <laughs> and so we'll just, we'll just take the dogs for a walk. And I think they're kind of getting tired of it at this point. So we take them on two or three a day and, uh, they, they actually need a break from us at some point. So. <laughs> I think that's the key though. I think I, I go out for a few walks a day too. I think, I think getting outside, uh, you know, to the extent that you can do it uh, safely, you know, just for walks around your neighborhood is, uh, is, is crucial. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, obviously it depends on kind of where you're at, uh, you know, in the States now, as far as the, how mm-hmm. much the lockdown is affecting you and so forth too. Cause like here in Alabama, I mean, our cases keep going up and we're on a statewide lockdown, but you know, my wife and I can kind of, we, we've got a, or her parents have a lake house that we go to every now and then. So that's kind of a nice, like one or two day getaway. Cause I mean, we're, we're both working full time five days a week and me sometimes six or seven days a week from home. And it's nice to have that a little bit of an outlet. <laughs> that's not just the same neighborhood streets over and over again, but it is. That's a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> I, live, uh, I live in Asheville. And so I can take the car up into the Blue Ridge mountains every once in a while and just roll the window down and, and just see some trees and, 
and some beautiful scenery. And I know, I know that that's a luxury too. A lot of folks are just, just trapped yeah. you know, more than that. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Um, well, to kind of to kind of uh, start, I guess our, our conversation a little bit. Can you uh, can you tell me a little about yourself? I mean, I know we've got a little bit from your uh, from the little synopsis that I did at the beginning, but tell me kind of you know about growing up, going through school, and uh, and kind of how you got into writing. Uh, I, I say, yeah, I can. Uh, there isn't much interesting to tell about that. It's really <laughs> kind of bog standard. Um, uh, grew up in uh, mostly in Florida, and then then North Carolina. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> the growing up part is really boring. Just a, just a regular suburban kid, um, uh, highly, highly, uh, self-conscious and introverted, um, uh, maybe more than most, maybe not, I can't tell. Um, but, um, went to college, uh, at Chapel Hill, dropped out, uh, went to college again, Eight or nine years later, UNO, uh, University of New Orleans, that is, dropped out. Uh, never did get a degree. Uh, as far as uh, wanting to be a writer, uh, as long as I can remember. I remember um, my dad telling me bedtime stories uh, when I was very, very small. Uh, I remember my mom reading to me. Uh, and and I remember writing my own stories. Uh you know, clutching my crayon and, uh, and, uh, and always knowing that this was going to be the thing that I did. Um, I always, the, you know, when a grown up would ask me, what you're going to, what are you going to be when you grow up? It would be, I'm going to be an astronaut and a writer or a veterinarian and a writer or whatever. And finally, those other things just kind of fell away. And I just ended up doing this. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's always been, it's always been part of the plan. I gotcha. So, 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 which which of those would you have been if you weren't a writer, an astronaut, or? <laughs> Turns out, it would have been a waiter and a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so you had some pretty interesting jobs. Uh, you know, kind of going through your life. I mean, it says you were you cooked on an old, you know, on some old rigs and barges, and you were a waiter mm-hmm. and a bartender. I mean, I guess uh, you know, a what was the oddest job you've had, and, and b like what is. What is a really interesting story you can tell about that job? Oddest job? Yeah. Uh, odd in the sense of, uh, well, it would have been working offshore. Uh, I guess not odd in the sense of like interesting and nothing, except except that it was unusual and uh, and it's something that a lot of people don't have access to. Um, the most interesting story I can remember doing that, I was on a barge and, uh, this was actually, this is a, an example of my towering stupidity, and, uh, but I was on a barge, uh, in the Gulf and a hurricane had uh, come into the Gulf. It was far away from, from us, but, uh, as anybody who has any experience in the Gulf coast knows, once a hurricane gets in there, it can act like a pinball. It's kind of hard to do, hard to predict where it will go, and um, and so the barges were called to port. You know, so we turned around and we started hauling hauling ass back uh, to the coast. Um, and it was going to take us the better part of the night to do that. And so I finished up whatever I was supposed to do that night. You know, cleaned up the kitchen, locked things away. The ship was pitching all over the place. We had to take everything off the tables, secure it so it wouldn't slide all over the floors. 
we had uh, people uh, coming into the kitchen so they can get their soda crackers to fight the fight the uh, seasickness. Um, and uh, and once I was done, I decided, well, I wanted to go see what it looked like. So I opened up the door and uh, walked out onto the deck and went up to the railing, kind of clutched onto it. It was storming. It was, uh, there's no very little visibility. Um, waves were pitching everywhere and I could see birds, uh, out in the storm, uh, and they were flying against the wind and they looked stationary. And every once, every once in a while they would kind of duck down, dip down to the surface of the water. Um, I suppose fishing, I wasn't really sure. And then, but I was kind of transfixed by them. And I stay there and I kind of watch this magnificent symphony of nature all around me. And then, uh, and then once I had my fill, I sauntered back inside like nothing was wrong. And uh, the next day, the uh, the head cook told me that the captain had seen me going back inside and uh, and said that if he goes out there again, I'm just going to have someone go out there and pitch him overboard uh, <laughs> because it was apparently extremely reckless. I was endangering myself, and of course, if I had gone overboard, I would have endangered everybody who had to had to try to pull me out of there. Right, a complete idiot, uh, and I was very lucky. Yeah, but uh, I guess he's just just kind of look, looking down at you, just shaking his head, just going, "Man, <laughs> he was, he was probably like grinding his teeth." Uh, and uh, I, I suppose I was lucky that I turned around before he was able to send someone to drag me by my hair back inside right um yeah i mean just recounting it i'm i'm, I'm embarrassed by how dumb it was <laughs> i was completely completely oblivious to 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 the danger i was posing to myself and others now i have to know how old were you at this at this moment in your life uh early 20s okay so yeah so yeah i mean well, we, we still do it. a lot of dumb things in our twenties. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, certainly, I could say I was, I was, I was young, but I wasn't. I should have known. Should have right. known better. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, as, as far as your as your writing goes, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure it changes day to day. Obviously, it changes with pandemics now, but. Um, do you typically find yourself writing, uh, in your home? Do you, do you feel like you need to travel in order to kind of get, uh, a sense of atmosphere to write in, or does it really just depend on your mood? Oh, pardon me for coughing. Um, uh, it changes a lot. It really depends on what my mindset is. Uh, I like to, I do most of my writing in my room, um, uh, because I'm able to kind of. I'm able to uh, move the things that are distracting to me uh, out of my eyesight, so I don't look at them when I write. Otherwise, I'm like a you know I'm like a, a what is it, like a magpie. If I look at something interesting, uh, I will think about that instead of thinking about what I'm supposed to. Uh, sometimes, though, it's necessary for me to kind of break up the scenery just to just to. It seems to have some kind of effect subconsciously. Uh, if things look different. I might think about a particular problem differently. So every once in a while, I'll go out to a coffee shop uh, or a bookstore to write. Um, sometimes I'll just take a pen and paper and go up onto the parkway and find, uh, you know, find an overlook and do some scribbling there. Uh, but usually it's at home. It's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty unglamorous. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, can you? Uh, I guess. 
talk a little bit about your writing process. I'm, you know, I, I like kind of, kind of like your, where you find yourself writing. I'm sure it's changed over the years, especially uh, with your short story collections and, uh, you know, now writing, you know, a full length novel. Uh, would you consider yourself now you can use different terms if you want to, you know, plotter, pantser, architect, gardener, however you want to use them. But, you know, do you, do you really fully flush out a story before, you know, in an outline with notes before you start writing or do you just write and see where the story takes you? It's mutually the, the latter. I, I don't, I don't outline very much. Um, and I found writing a novel that it's, uh, uh, perhaps I should think about doing that a little bit more in the future because, uh, there's a whole lot more ground to cover. And, and when you don't know exactly where you're going, uh, you can end up wasting a lot of time going the wrong way. Um, uh, but typically, especially for short stories, I will have a beginning. Of course, I'll have what I need are, are the beginning. I need to know, uh, who the character is, uh, the protagonist, and I need to have at least some rough notion of an endpoint, and that doesn't have to be necessarily a, like a uh, a plot resolution point. It might be just, you know, an atmosphere. It might be an emotion that I want to uh, to uh, stir up in a reader. Uh, it might be as abstract as that. Sometimes it's just like I feel like it's like a color, which sounds kind of stupid. But when I was writing Skull Pocket, I didn't know how I wanted to end but I had a color the ending was going to be in my mind. And that makes probably sense to nobody probably. But, um, but, but I say that as an illustration of just how abstract it can be, but it's still something that I can aim at. And, um, and it's in the middle, the middle ground and that, and that, and that, and that dark expanse between those two points that the story kind of uh, uh, accumulates that kind of, it's, it's discovered. And, uh, and that can be wonderful fun, and it can be uh, depressing and frustrating. Uh, it's usually both, you know, at various points. Mm-hmm. All right, Tom. Um, who would you say were maybe some of your early writing influences and maybe even some that you still have going into today? Um, <clears throat> the early ones... Uh, Probably the first was one that you will probably hear a lot if you talk to writers uh, who, you know, write dark, dark fiction of any sort. And that's uh, Stephen King was a, was the first the first big one for me, probably the first adult writer uh, that I ever read. Um, and, you know, I was already the kind of kid who loved haunted houses and you know all the little picture books as a kid with a with the spiders and the ghosts uh and so he was already writing to that uh to my mindset i think night shift was the first book i ever picked up but i remember reading the boogeyman and uh just feeling some some bell in in my in my interior just ringing when i when i read that story it's like this this is it this is it um and the other one uh the genre specifically is um, the other big, big one was Clive Barker. Um, when I first read the books of blood, uh, it, it, uh, there was another moment of, of, of recognition. This is a kind of guy who was using the same tools, but he was using them to do something very different than King was doing. Um, 
Whereas King is typically the kind of horror writer who, uh, for whom the uh, the horror is an exterior threat, something to be to be uh, beaten back if possible, uh, and and so that the the safety of the status quo can be reestablished. Barker was the opposite. Barker was uh, for him the horror was often a vehicle for the intrusion of beauty, uh, transformation, um, some some kind of epiphany, uh, and that really resonated with me because. That's kind of how I feel about horror too. I feel like it's 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 beautiful and it's it's uh, it's often revelatory, and uh, and I respond more to the kind of the kind of horror fiction in which in which it transforms uh, and does is it, it is not necessarily something that has to be overwhelmed or sometimes it should the the protagonist tries to beat it back but can't it is transformed despite himself. Uh, that's that's my favorite kind of my favorite kind of horror fiction. I got it. <clears throat> um, can you tell the audience a little bit about your latest release, uh, which is Wounds? Um, you know, if, if you want to kind of tell them about what they can expect going in, and then maybe uh, a little bit about you know what it was like seeing the visible filth made into a full length movie. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, wounds, six stories from the border of hell. <clears throat> the, um, it is a, if anybody who has read my first book, North America Lake Monsters, uh, will find something very different in wounds. And that was partly by design, partly just because that's just this, these are the stories that happened to happen to come out. But, uh, it, it is a, uh, it is a, uh, far more overtly fantastical uh, collection than the first one was. It kind of really leans much more heavily into, into, uh, into the fantastic. Um, it draws a lot from uh, Pulp Fiction, from Hammer Horror movies. Uh, basically, when I wrote this book, I really wanted to write something that was more fun to write and uh, maybe less depressing to read. Uh, with the first book, when people would ask me, you know, if they could read a copy of it, if, if I, you know, or ask me about it, I would, I would tell them, and if I gave them a copy, I would almost feel guilty sometimes because I knew that it was a bunch of, you know, emotionally, uh, downbeat stories. And, um, and while I'm very proud of it, I also knew that I wasn't handing them something that they were going to have fun with if that makes sense. And I wanted to just, I wanted to swing the pendulum the other way just to see if I could do it as well. Uh, and so, yeah, the second book is going to be, is, is a lot more, um, just playing with the toys, the genre a lot more. That's all. And as far as uh, seeing the movie made, that was, uh, I mean, it was, it was just as exciting as you might think. It was, it was, it seemed like a bolt from the blue. It seemed the sort of thing that, you know, you dream will happen, but no, never will. And uh, and, the, and the, that it did was still seems to me something of a miracle. Um, and working with Babak was uh, was delightful because he liked the novella so much, and he was adamant that he uh, stay as true to it as as he could be. And uh, that's also something that you don't hear of often when people are dealing with Hollywood. You hear all the horror stories, but it turns out there are good ones too. And um, 
it was a lot of fun. I mean, he kept me involved uh, throughout the script writing process. He would ask lots of questions. Uh, he would ask uh, uh, for input when he felt that he, uh, you know, that he wanted some or needed some. Um, and it was a, uh, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a ride. You know, it was terrific. And seeing it uh, at Sundance, they they flew me over there to to watch the debut, and it was it was. Uh, it was dreamlike. It was surreal. I can't even. I can't even say it was specifically fun or overwhelming because it was just uh, an, almost like an out of body experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I I can imagine. I mean, I, I you know remember like I said you know when when we met and uh, I had seen I had seen wounds kind of making its rounds on Instagram and so forth and. You were obviously a relatively new author to me at the time, and uh, I read you here, or well, read you here, heard you read a uh, an excerpt from the Butcher's Table, which is one of the stories in Wounds, and yeah. uh, at the Noir event, and I was like, okay, I got, I got to see what this guy's made of, you know. And when when read the book, and um, and I was like, okay, well now now I feel like I can watch the adaptation. Now I will say there were there were times where. I, I mean, it was, it was a cringe fest <laughs> quite a few times. And there were a few points where I'm like, you just had to cut the lights back on. But I, I thought uh, they did a phenomenal job uh, adapting it. I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I remember all of the parts in the, you know, in the story as I'm watching the movie, uh, you know, even, even though the movie, you know, may have added just a, a couple of things. I felt like the, the whole point of the story and what you wanted to convey was all there. I thought so too, uh, and uh, yeah, he. Of course, he had to make some some alterations simply because it's a different medium. You've got to tell the story to fit the medium. Right. But um. But yeah, I, I agree, uh, and I think it's. I think it's a difficult story to adapt. I think, and I think, one of the reasons that's true, is that I often write about characters who are difficult to like, and. Um, there are some readers and there are uh, film goers uh, who have no patience for that. And I get it. But, uh, and I, but that's, that's who I find interesting to write about. And, uh, and that character in the film is, uh, is difficult to relate to uh, as he should be. But, um, but it makes, I think for a challenging film experience. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually gonna be my next question. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna ask why why do you like writing this type of character so much? You know, it's uh they're just more they're interesting to me. Um I, I'm 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 really kind of bored by uh by heroic characters. Uh by characters who are meant to, who are meant to, you know, reflect our best selves. Um that's a part of ourselves that I or that's a, how to word this. It's just, it's, it, it just doesn't interest me very much. I'm just much more interested in the, all of the moral conflicts, uh, not that we necessarily even encounter in life, but that we contain within our own, our own, you know, our own selves. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, especially in this age, you know, we live in an age in which, in which, we interact with each other. It's, it's a culture of presentation. We curate our, our, our faces through social media and, and we, 
we're, we're kind of encouraged uh, to, to uh, uh, I'm sorry I'm not articulating this well, uh, to, to, you know, to present ourselves almost as, as flawlessly and as purely as we can. And, and I'm fascinated by this because everybody has, I believe, uh, the skeletons that they carry around in their own in their closets, you know, all the little shames, all the little, all those little pockets of darkness and and uh, and, uh, and and meanness, spitefulness that is part of the human condition, and and it's the wrestling with that uh, that's interesting to me, and it's the people who have a hard time uh, overcoming that that's interesting to me. And I'm also interested in people who who see the world in a much more kind of pugilistic way, uh, and uh, than I do, maybe, or and uh, and 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 with whom I have profound disagreements. And I'm considered, and I like to consider how they got to that place. You know, why does the world make sense to them in a different way than it does to me? You know, what happened to them that makes makes this morally uh, unsupportable position uh, makes sense to them. That's if, if, if you can untangle what I meant in that, in that crazy <laughs> series of sentences, but, uh, but that's, that's, that's what's interesting to me. Interesting to me. I'm interested in morally compromised people. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that we're all morally compromised, whether we admit it or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all, we're all broken, um, you know, in one way or another. And it's, you know, it, it is interesting that, that you do pick that, but it, it's also kind of seeing something, I guess, that you wouldn't normally see maybe in everyday life. Like, you you know, you see news articles about, you know, people saving the day in some some other fashion, or and you see all these movies and TV shows about uh, you know, these people that don't really have a morally gray area, or at least they don't portray that. Um, and it's interesting to see, you know, just stories of just these, you know, these morally great people or, or, you know, the lack, the lack of, of having morals, um, you know, especially like invisible filth. I mean, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but yeah, I mean, he's a very tough person to get behind. Uh, it doesn't appear that way in the beginning. Um, and you know, it kind of, as you go through it, um, you know, it, it becomes a, a very interesting character study, uh, which I feel like all your stories are. They're just character studies that aren't of heroes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope so. And I, uh, and I appreciate that, that observation because that's, that's the intent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, he's a tough character to like, but I, I also think that he's not necessarily a bad person. He's just a selfish person. Right. And, uh, and you know, I'm able to have insight into that because I too am a selfish person in many ways. And I just, and so when I write a character like this, I, you know, it's it's easy to look at my own worst qualities, magnify them, and uh, and build a character out of them. And uh, I don't know. I th- I think it's one of the things that that is important that helps me work as a writer is is just you know kind of being ruthless to myself and figuring out what are my, what things about me do I really dislike or embarrass me or make me ashamed of myself and, uh, and drill. And, uh, 
and find ways to, to uh, you know, build stories out of them. Right. It's a really interesting way of you really think about it. I, I don't know any other authors that at least that I've spoken to that that do that in such a way. But that's a really interesting process. Um, I mean, do, do you feel like a weight lifted after you write it? I'm, I'm just curious. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, especially in some of the stories with the first book, um, it was a very cathartic book in many ways, and uh, you know, to, to the writing of it, and uh, and there were things that I. I felt like I was able to just kind of like, you know, let go a little bit of, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and certainly, certainly the visible filth is that way too. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I, I, the second book was different from the first is that I couldn't write those stories or those kinds of stories. Cause I felt like I had done it. I had, they had done the work, uh, that they needed to do. And now it's time to do different kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, to a degree, yes. All right, so uh, let's move on a little bit to uh, North American Lake Monsters. So this was your your first book that you published, um, and it's uh, currently being adapted into an eight episode season on Hulu. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the stories that are within that collection, and then kind of you know maybe the differences you've seen between how Visible Filth was made into a movie and how this set of stories is being made into a series. Yeah, the uh, the stories were written over a pretty lengthy period of time. Uh, I wrote the stories very slowly. Um, I was, uh, you know, working as a bartender and later as a waiter and uh, raising a kid at the same time. So it, it slowed me down. Some people are much better at, at, at uh, multitasking the, those kinds of things than I am. Um, uh, there, there are, they are more heavily based in realism. Uh, the fantasy in those stories tends to be a kind of like a, uh, well, I don't want to say a background element because that's not exactly true, but I, I kind of think of the, I kind of think of the stories as like a room and, uh, the point of, well, let me say this again. And it's a room with a single light and that light is a fantasy element. And it's like a small lamp off to the side or hanging from the ceiling. And the point of it is the way that fantasy element sort of illuminates the room. Um, And sometimes it will be a small thing and and it's just about how the characters respond to it. That tends to be, that tends to be true of most of the stories in that book. Um, it, you know, the process of it getting, so it's getting, uh, it got picked up, uh, by Annapurna TV, uh, and sold to Hulu as a, as a series, which is called Monsterland. And they bought the rights to the book. And what they are, what's ended up happening is that, uh, and I think this is, this is a good thing. Uh, they are adapting some of the stories uh, for what we hope is just the first season. We hope it goes on for more, but right now we know we have one season. Uh, they're adapting four stories, and there are four stories that uh, they came up with, the writer's room came up with on their own, um, which are kind of 
the same aesthetic, if that makes sense. And if we get a second season, there'll probably be a couple more stories that are adapted from it, and there'll be more stories of their own. And the the hope is that this will allow the thing to kind of grow and expand uh, beyond the scope of just the book, uh, which seems to me a very healthy ambition. So the the stories that are being picked for the first year that were picked uh, are You Go Where It Takes You, and for, for your listeners who don't haven't read this book, this will mean nothing, and I apologize. <laughs> but uh, if you happen to have read it, as you go where it takes you, uh, SS, uh, uh, The Good Husband, and The Monsters of Heaven. And, uh, and I've seen the dailies of these things, and I think they're pretty spectacular. Um, it came about because uh, Two and Two Productions, which is run by uh, Babak Anvari and as partner Luke and Toe, they're the ones who did Wounds, and while they were making that, uh, Babak read North American Lake Monsters, and uh, they decided to adapt that as well. Uh, and so I can thank them for uh, for both of these eventualities. And in fact, Babak is directing one of the episodes of the of the television show as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a that's been a remarkable process too. I got to go out to L.A. for a couple of weeks to sit in the writers' room while they. Well, they first started breaking the series or the season, figuring out which stories to tell. Uh, it was remarkable to uh, just watch that sort of collaborative creative process. Uh, it was a kind of an egoless room where people were just throwing down ideas at this rapid pace. And, uh, and the showrunner, Mary Laws, would uh, kind of sift through them. The ones that worked, she would keep. The ones that didn't, they would be dismissed. And... Uh, it didn't matter, you know, whose uh, whose ideas were being kept or dismissed, or you couldn't even remember at the end of the day or the end of the week whose ideas were whose. It was just such a like a kinetic, exciting atmosphere where all that mattered was the best idea, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun to be a part of, even at that brief time. That's awesome. Um, what is it like? I guess seeing stories. Uh, I'm not going to say it. maybe maybe not even in the set in the same world I guess but maybe seeing stories that are along the same lines as ones that you've written I guess being pitched and adapted uh, I mean is is that is that inspiring is it is it odd I mean do do you feel like oh, I could have written a better story than that I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was definitely inspiring. It was uh, <clears throat> there were a couple there that. Uh, that when they're pitched, I was like, Oh my God, I wish I thought of that, you know? Um, and it was, uh, it was, it's, it's gratifying in a sense. And it's also, it's gratifying in a sense that you think, Oh, you know, this book has, has produced this further iteration, you know? Um, it's, these stories have come into being because of the book and that's, you know, that it satisfies the ego. I gotta be, I gotta be honest about it. And, uh, but at the same time, it's humbling because it moves beyond what you've done so rapidly. Uh, it becomes something bigger and uh, autonomous um, so quickly that um, it's just, it's just, uh, it's a little awe-inspiring to watch. And, um, and that part is humbling, but it's, it's, it's humbling in a very good way. It's like, it's like seeing something grow beyond 
yourself and your own contribution into something bigger and more elaborate and uh, and uh, with a broader scope. And um, it's 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 very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I know, um, which you may you may remember when they had this, but uh, Amazon used to have this thing called, I think it was called Kindle Worlds, where writers could write inside of other authors' like worlds. And so you could write, say, a novella or a full-length novel kind of based in the same element. And I feel like that's kind of like a small scale of kind of, you know, what's happening here is where, you know, you've got writers that are kind of pitching stories that, have the same feel and, and so forth. Um, I just, I remember that that was kind of like a short lived thing, but I thought that was kind of neat because it was, it just gave people opportunities to write in a world that they loved or, uh, you know, with care, you know, alongside characters that they really enjoyed reading or something. And I, and uh, I, I, I can imagine that feels really good. <laughs> that people it's are it, but it's also, it's that. like, it's worth pointing out that there's nothing like that special about, about the aesthetic of the stories in, in North America, Lake Monsters. And there's nothing unique about it or specifically, specifically uh, mine about it. It's just, it's just using the fantasy, just using the monsters as metaphors. It's just, it's just take, making the choice each time of grounding the character in front of the monster, which many writers do. Um, and it's, uh, so, you know, there's nothing specifically, I don't know, there's nothing, there's nothing like especially unique about, about having done that. I think it's, it's just, it just happened to be this book that they got picked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these writers are good enough already that it would have come up with these stories like this on their own, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's, it's, I, I get, I get, I get kind of uncomfortable when, uh, when, I don't know, when I feel like too much, too much credit is given to, uh, the book, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm very proud of it, but it's also, it's like, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing unique about what I did in that book. <laughs> Take some credit, Nathan. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so your writing has had several different quote-unquote labels, from weird fiction to cosmic horror, sometimes even dark fantasy, depending on the story itself. I mean, do you believe in labels? And if so, do any of these actually stick? Oh, geez, this <laughs> this question gets me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I've had people get mad at me about this kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I won't get mad. I promise. I'll, 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 I'll set it with a smile on my face and I'll end it with that. <laughs> I, I, do I believe in them? I mean, I mean, sure. Do I feel entirely comfortable with them? Not really. Um, I, I love horror fiction. I write horror fiction. Do I always write horror fiction? No. Um, do I sometimes, here's what I think. I think, I don't, I think, I think horror, I think uh, fantasy, I think science fiction, I think essentially those are tools you bring to bear on the story. I think, uh, I don't, I think it's a mistake. At least it is for me. Every, every writer approaches it their own way and it's whatever works is good. For me, I have to approach a story not thinking this is a horror story or this is a, you know, a dark fantasy story or whatever. I just have to think about 
I have to think about it as independent of those things. And those things can be applied to it later to people's, to their heart's content. Uh, I'm that David Cronenberg said in an interview I read a long time ago, but it was, uh, but it, it really struck, it stuck with me. It's like, you know, you write, uh, you, the genre works in service to the story, not the other way around. The story does not work in service to the genre. And, uh, and I believe that. I think, uh, I think you think about your story first and then you, you know, the genre will infuse it if it's meant to. And that's kind of how I feel about it. I feel like I write stories of horror in them. Are they specifically horror stories? I don't know. I don't really care. And this is, and this is the thing that gets me in trouble because I think, you know, some people hear me say this and they think that I'm saying, I'm trying to distance myself from the genre and, and nothing could be further from the truth. I think I just think about it in a way that's, you know, maybe a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's like these are. It's like it's like taxonomizing fiction. I mean, I couldn't care. It just I, I bristle uh, when people talk about this kind of thing too much because it's it, it, to me it's 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 just it's obscuring the story. You know, this right. is who cares about what that's what it's called? Who cares about what 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 names you pin to each part whenever you stick it on the wooden slab and and cut it open and and put pins in every organ? You know. Who cares? It's the it's well, plenty of people do, you know, plenty of people care, and, and, and God bless them. I don't care. That's a better way to say it. I don't there you care. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, you're just you're writing fiction. I mean, you know, if, if you want to if you want to put a label on it, you're writing fiction, and you're writing what you want to write, and people can label it whatever they want to, depending on how they feel about the story. But it, you know, it it really at the end of the day, it's I wrote a story, take it or leave it. <laughs> uh, pretty much, pretty much. And it's also, you know, it's also, it's, there's such a compulsion, I think, in, and this probably comes from all kinds of different directions. Uh, I don't feel qualified to really talk about, talk about it, you know, with any kind of authority, but there's this kind of, uh, this compulsion to, once you're identified with a genre, to continue to conform to that genre. And it becomes, it becomes, you know, uh, constricting for some people, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll point to my own very, you know, limited trajectory. I've got, uh, you know, Lake Monsters was the first book, and it was a very specific kind of story. Uh, Wounds came out, and it's a very, I think, all those, are, I think they come from, the, they share the same core. They're very different kinds of stories. And then the novel that I'm just finishing up is uh, called The Strange, which is a very different book from the first two. And so if people get hung up on the idea that, uh, oh, this guy Ballinger writes horror stories, when when they get when they read the novel, they're going to think, well, what the hell is this? Uh, he's betrayed me somehow. And which is because it's not a horror story, although there is definitely horror in it. Um, uh, but it's it seems to me. A misnomer to call to call that book uh, horror uh, in and of itself, and you know people will know what I mean whenever it comes out. And this is maybe this is maybe what I'm getting at, and why I have such a hard time, um, you know, wearing that particular hat by choice 
because it feels then I feel, and this is no one else's fault. This is just me. I feel this kind of sub subconscious, uh, responsibility to, uh, to fulfill that expectation. And I don't want to feel that responsibility. I want to indulge my own impulses, you know, not to what I think someone is expecting that I should do. And, uh, and which is what I'm, I've tried to do. So this is a really long and, and kind of meandering, <laughs> messy answer to your question. I like long and meandering and messy answers. That's, that's what I, that's what I go for. <laughs> Um, well, how about, how about one that, that you can't answer and you don't have to worry about labels? Um, what are you, uh, what are you working on now? Uh, well now I, I'm just, I'm just finishing up, uh, you know, the novel to, to, uh, that's going to be turned in, uh, like in a matter of days. Um, I have, uh, the second novel started, um, uh, a couple short stories, uh, a novella, you know, in the works and at various stages of completion. Um, I tend to be a tinkerer. I'll have one like project that I'm focused on primarily, uh, but I have to have a lot of smaller things that are kind of on the back burner. When I get bored with the, or frustrated or stuck with the main project, I will just take one of the smaller ones and just tinker on it for a while, put it away, get back to the main one. And eventually those other ones will kind of like, just over time, we'll, we'll kind of stumble into completion. Okay. I gotcha. Um, do you have you, uh, have you read anything, uh, recommend worthy <laughs> recommendation worthy <laughs> lately? Um, you know, maybe anything that, uh, that may be coming out, you know, in the next couple of months or anything that's been out recently that you'd recommend. Uh, well, I just got to read, uh, uh an advanced readers copy of, uh, Paul Tremblay's new book, Survivor Song, which is fantastic, as you would probably guess, being as Paul. Um, Christopher Golden's new novel, uh, Red Hands, which is, a, which is, you know, they're both actually pandemic novels, funnily enough. Um, and uh, something that I have read recently that I don't think gets near enough attention but that I wish people would read more is a short collection of short stories by Abby May Otis It's called uh, alien virus love disaster, uh, small beer press. I think it's just an extraordinary uh, collection of short stories. It's science fiction. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of in the tradition I think of Maureen McHugh and which is very humanist. It's very, it's very character focused. The science fictional elements are, are completely in service to that. Um, and, uh, just strange, beautiful stories. Um, I read the whole book. There's not, there's not a misstep among them. I thought it's one of the best books I've read in a couple of years. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. I just, I just looked it up, uh, on Amazon. It's just, is it? I mean, just based on the cover alone, it's got to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's much brighter than the cover would indicate. I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I say yeah, because uh, I mean, she was a Philip K. Dick Award finalist, and uh, yeah, I mean that's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that one out. Yeah, and actually, uh, I had the opportunity to read Survivor Song as well. I read it back, man, January, February. 
I feel, like, I feel like I feel like I've had that copy for like forever, and of course <clears> now with COVID, it, the the publish date got pushed another month. But yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal, and I kind of wish I kind of wish it had already been published because I think a lot of people would 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 really enjoy it. You know, right about now. I think so too. I said something similar uh, online a little while ago because one of the things I think that's important about that book, and this is this is not a spoiler. Um, Paula said as much himself. Um, is that it makes a point in saying this is not the end of the world. You know, this is a thing that's happening that we will get through. And uh, and there's so much, there's so much, I mean, all the doom junkies are out. It's There's so much talk about apocalypse, people using the word apocalypse with, with abandon. It's like this, it's, it's not, it's not the apocalypse. It's a rough time. It's a dark time. It might last a while. It's going to take a toll. But the world's going to continue. And I think... Uh, I think reading Survivor Song uh, would help reinforce that. And so I wish it was out now, but it kind of looks like when it does come out, this is still going to be going on. So yeah. <laughs> it'll still have time to do good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing about it. It's like, I kept thinking, I was like, man, it's, it's going to sink because this is going to be over. But no, I, I, I feel like it's, it's still going to be a thing for sure. So uh, yeah, I definitely recommend everybody check it out. And if you haven't checked out any of Paul Trimley's works, uh, I highly recommend especially if you want some unsettling horror. Um, I mean, Growing Things was one of my top reads last year. Um, and that's, that's a, it's probably one of the best collections I've ever read. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Nathan, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I know, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a little bit since we when we, since we first touched base about it, but um, you know I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to come and chat with me on uh, on the podcast, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, the Hulu adaptation of North American Lake Monsters when it does finally hit, and uh, definitely looking forward to your your first full length novel. I know it's going to be fantastic. So, um, but everybody that's listening in, you can find Nathan on social media uh, on Twitter. It's in Ballingrude. On Instagram, it's at Ballingrude. On Facebook, uh, Nathan.Ballingrude. And then you can find his website at NathanBallingrude.com. Uh, and again, Wounds and North American Lake Monsters are both available everywhere. Uh, you can find the movie adaptation of The Visible Filth called Wounds on Hulu currently. And then uh, again, we'll be looking for North American Lake Monsters, which you said was called Monsterland, uh, hopefully coming here pretty soon. So Nathan, just thank you again for coming on and uh, we'll have to do this again. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. Thank Definitely. you. Thank you.